Welcome to the official podcast for Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization. I'm Beth, a.k.a. Triumvir Clio. Welcome back. Today's play is another interesting piece to look at in light of current politics. It's not about race because, again, race as we know it today is a construct of European colonialism, but it should make us take a step back and think about how we treat people who are different from ourselves. Today's play is Sophocles' Philactides. And no, Philactides is not a satyr, and he doesn't look like Danny DeVito, although I suppose he could. Look at me judging someone for being short, Mr. DeVito. I apologize. I enjoy your work very much. You just don't exactly read Greek hero, but who says you couldn't have been one? But Danny DeVito or not, definitely not a satyr. Philoctetes is a human. I will once again be working from the E.F. Watling translation from 1953. It's the final play in this particular text, so it also means I'll get to put this book back on my shelf when I'm done. I have a rather large pile of books that are in progress. As I've noted before, this is a perfectly serviceable translation. If you're purchasing, you might want to find something more recent or look for a Lattimore translation because this poetry is beautiful. Um, but there is no reason not to use this one other than its age. Philoctetes premiered in 409 BCE and won first prize at Dionysia. This puts it very late in Sophocles' career, but you probably guessed that given how many of his other plays we've already covered. We actually only have one more of his plays before I move on to Euripides. And perhaps his age was influential in his writing, which we'll talk about later. Here's what you need to know before we start. Achilles is dead. Oh, um, sorry. Should I have given a 2,500-year-old spoiler alert on that point? Spoiler alert. Achilles is dead. But the Trojan War isn't over yet. The Greeks receive a prophecy that the war can't end without the help of Philoctetes and his magic bow. There's just one problem. He's not there. He was supposed to be, but he got bit by a snake en route, and the wound festered, and he became most unsufferable to be around. So his companions did the only logical thing and abandoned him on Lemnos. The very small cast includes Odysseus, Achilles' son Neoptolemus, Philoctetes, an unnamed sailor, and Heracles. Yes, that Heracles. The homogenous course is made up of the Greek sailors who have accompanied Odysseus and Neoptolemus on their quest to find Philoctetes. The play is set on the rocky, uninhabited, well, except for Philoctetes, shore of Lemnos. That's everything you need to know, so we'll take a short break and then dive into the plot. As the play opens, Odysseus, Neoptolemus, and the unnamed sailor enter. Odysseus explains how, on orders from above, he left Philoctetes here many years ago. You see, Philoctetes had this festering wound on his foot, and he would moan and howl at all hours, and there was a never a moment's peace from him, so no one wanted to be around him anymore. It's a long story, Odysseus says. Maybe he'll tell it all later. Right now, they have more important things to do. And Odysseus, being Odysseus, has a plan. First, Neoptolemus, being young and spry, will explore the rocks to see if he can find a cave suitable for habitation. He does this easily, and reports that it looks like someone has indeed been living in this cave. Clearly, they have found Philoctetes' um, home, but he's not home right now. 
Next, Odysseus tells Neoptolemus that it's all up to him. You see, because of that whole abandoning him on the island thing, Philoctetes doesn't like Odysseus very much. So if Odysseus were to approach him, well, it wouldn't be good. But Neoptolemus can make up a story about how much he hates Odysseus too and how he's given up on the Trojan War and is going home. Through this ruse, Neoptolemus will be able to get his hands on Philoctetes' bow. And that's what they really need to end the war. Neoptolemus is very sweet and innocent and guileless. If you were to look up sincere in the dictionary, you'd find his picture right next to Conrad Birdie's. He doesn't like this plan. It's so dishonest. And Neoptolemus knows that he's a terrible liar. He hates doing it. He asks if there isn't some other way. And Odysseus says no. And if the end is right, it justifies the beans. I mean, means. And that end? Neoptolemus being the one to sack Troy. The glorious irresistible. So Neoptolemus agrees to the plan. Odysseus exits and the chorus enters. Neoptolemus explains the plan to the chorus and enlists their help. Philoctetes enters. His wounded foot is wrapped in bandages and he carries his bow. He always carries his bow. He is surprised to see the sailors and recognizes by their clothing that they are Greek. But he is very happy to see them because he has been so lonely. Neoptolemus introduces himself. Philoctetes responds in the typical way, Oh, I remember your father. What are you doing here? No way. I was on my way to that war when I got left here. Neoptolemus pretends that he doesn't know who he's talking to, so Philoctetes fills him in. I'm Philoctetes, he says. I was the master of Heracles' weapons. I got bit by a venomous snake and was abandoned here. I was really sad at first, but then I figured out how to live. I hunt a lot. Good thing I've got this magic bow. But what I really want, well, other than my foot getting fixed, is to go home. A twinge of pain goes through his foot, and he curses Odysseus. Neoptolemus takes this as an opportunity to lean into the tale Odysseus told him to tell. And the story he tells is at least partly true. Achilles, his father, was killed by Apollo. An embassy of Greeks came to fetch him. If Achilles was no longer around to take the walls of Troy, then it was up to his son. Neoptolemus agreed and sailed to Troy. Once there, he asked for his father's arms, but he was told that they had been given to Odysseus instead. Unwilling to bear such an insult, Neoptolemus said goodbye and left, and that's how he wound up at Lemnos. Or so he tells Philoctetes. Philoctetes says that this sounds exactly like the Odysseus he remembers. But he's perplexed because Big Ajax would never let the Greeks get away with this sort of behavior. Neoptolemus explains that Big Ajax is dead too. But everyone else, all the people Philoctetes hates, who treated him so poorly, yeah, they're all still alive. And Neoptolemus says he hates them too, and that's why he's going home. Philoctetes begs to be taken with him, and Neoptolemus agrees. The sailor from the prologue enters, disguised as a merchant. He tells Neoptolemus that the Greeks have sent a ship to fetch him back to Troy, and then he tells Philoctetes that there is another ship on its way for him, and Odysseus is on that ship. The merchant-slash-sailor urges the two men to flee as, po as soon as possible, lest they be forced back to the battlefield of Troy. He exits. 
Philoctetes tells Neoptolemus that he needs to pack his medicine first, and he has some arrows laying around that he should grab, and even though he has been holding it this entire time, Neoptolemus just says, now at this point, so, uh, it's a nice bow you got there. Could I, uh, maybe hold it, you know, while you're packing? Philoctetes does let Neoptolemus hold the bow, but only briefly. They both exit into the cave to gather Philoctetes' few belongings. The chorus sings a song in which they compare Philoctetes' suffering with the punishment suffered by those imprisoned in Tartarus. Philoctetes and Neoptolemus enter, and Philoctetes is almost immediately overtaken by the pain in his foot. And this is a hard section to watch because it consists largely of Philoctetes' wailing and suffering. He tells Neoptolemus to hold his bow until the pain subsides and he eventually falls asleep, the only thing that will help the pain diminish. Neoptolemus looks at the chorus. The chorus looks at him. They all look at the bow in his hand. The bow, after all, is what they have come for. And Neoptolemus has a decision to make. Does he take the bow and run? Or does he stay? And Neoptolemus opts for the latter. He sees in Philoctetes a man who has been horribly mistreated, and he does not wish to add to that misery. Philoctetes wakes up feeling much better. He is both relieved and surprised to see that Neoptolemus is still there, and Neoptolemus feels guilty, and he confesses everything. At first, Philoctetes doesn't believe him, but once he's convinced, he is furious. He tries to take the bow back. He'd rather stay on Lemnos than go with Odysseus, and he needs the bow to hunt. And despite all of the rage that Philoctetes unleashes on Neoptolemus, I'll try saying his name again, Neoptolemus, the younger man not only takes it, he understands where the anger has come from, and he pities the old injured castaway. And he's about to hand him the bow when Odysseus enters. Give me the bow, he shouts. Philoctetes and Odysseus argue. Odysseus says that they will all go back to Troy by hook or by crook. Philoctetes is fated to capture Troy, and Odysseus is going to see that it happens. Philoctetes refuses. He curses Odysseus and all of the Greeks. Odysseus finally says that since they have the bow, Teucros, or Teucer, the great archer you remember from the Iliad, yeah, can be the one to man it. Philoctetes looks at Neoptolemus and asks if he's going to leave too. Neoptolemus shamefully admits that he is. He and Odysseus exit. Philoctetes and the chorus sing a lament, and then Philoctetes crawls into his cave. Odysseus follows Neoptolemus back on stage. Neoptolemus says that his conscience won't let him take the bow and leave the man. The two men nearly come to blows over this difference in opinion? Yeah, not the best word, since recognizing a person as a human who deserves to be treated as such is not a matter of opinion. Ultimately, Odysseus exits. Philoctetes enters. He is still angry, but he is calm now. He is willing to listen to what Neoptolemus has to say. Neoptolemus returns the bow. Odysseus appears and says that he will take Philoctetes in the bow by force if he has to. Philoctetes responds to this threat by taking aim at Odysseus. Neoptolemus intercedes, and Odysseus escapes. Neoptolemus then tries a tactic that Odysseus wakes against, the truth. And the truth includes a visit to a temple of Asclepius, the god of healing. 
If Philoctetes comes with him, Neoptolemus will take him to the temple where his foot will be healed. And with his help, the prophecy that Troy will fall that summer will come true. But they can't do it without him. Philoctetes isn't sold. Why should he believe this? He doesn't want to see the men who wronged him. He just wants to go home to Greece. And Neoptolemus agrees. He'll take him home. And they are on their way out when Heracles appears from on high. Yes, it is a straight-up textbook deus ex machina. Heracles tells Philoctetes that he is not to go home until he has gone to Troy. Philoctetes is grateful to see Heracles and know that the god still supports him. He promises to obey. Philoctetes says farewell to his island, and the two men leave to go to Troy. And that's where the play ends. Like I said before we started, this play isn't about race. Not exactly. It is definitely about another civil rights issue, though. It is about disability. Uh, But we can see Philoctetes' injury as a symbol of other so-called identity issues. Age? Sure. Race? Why not? Odysseus seems to have a hard time seeing Philoctetes as anything beyond his wound. Replace that last word with skin color, and this story could be very much the same as it is. Very little different. This is a play in which we can definitely see the playwright. Sophocles was old when he wrote this, and the way he treats the character Philoctetes includes the empathy of one who knows how it feels to have lost the strength and health that one once had. And we'll see similar empathy in the last of his plays that we'll go over in two weeks, and Oedipus at um, Colonus. Uh, The treatment of truth is also notable in this play. Odysseus would have no problem with straight-up lies. But Neoptolemus isn't comfortable going that far, and instead he tells a lot of half-truths. Parts of his stories are true, but he still makes up some things in order to convince Philoctetes to give him the bow. But we only know this because of other sources that tell the story of the Trojan War. As a standalone piece, how are we supposed to know where the truth ends and the lie begins? And what does that tell us about how we speak to people today? There is one more thing I'd like to mention before closing this episode. Lemnos was not uninhabited. (laughs) There are many other myths that talk about the people who lived there. So... Being abandoned on Lemnos? Clearly, Flectides does not travel far from the shore where he is left. Maybe he couldn't. How nobody found him. Lemnos is not uninhabited, that's all I have to say. Anyway, there is a lot to think about. And, like, Odysseus, what do you think about him? And yes, that's one of the discussion prompts over on the blog, because this is not the same sort of Odysseus that we see in other stories sort of we'll get to my thoughts on Odysseus when we read the Odyssey the link of course to the blog is in the show notes um on Wednesday we'll go over book six 
book 16 of the Iliad, and I promise that something is going to happen beyond just gods meddling and people killing each other. But you will have to wait and see unless you're reading along with me or you're one of my friends who's read it before. Anyway, um, I will talk to you then. You can join the discussion of this and everything covered in this podcast by following the link in my show notes. And if you're enjoying what you've heard so far, please consider supporting the show with a monthly donation of your choosing, just like public radio. And please also consider giving a five-star review on your podcatcher of choice so that more people can discover the fun that is Triumvir Clio's School of Classical Civilization.